Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to hear from your word. May you speak to us. And as we continue to explore the story of who you are that you've made known to your people, may we continue to let it change and impact our lives. We ask this all in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I'd like to start the sermon a little different today, so listen to uh, this uh, song, lyrics. Uh, All I'm going to tell you is that these are lyrics to a song. So usually this would be sung. Centuries passed and still the same. War in our blood, some things never change. Fighting for land and personal gain, better your life, justify your pain. The end is knocking, the end is knocking. We've all been lost for most of this life. Everywhere we turn, more hatred surrounds us. And I know that most of us just ain't right. Following the wrong steps, being led by pride. How many lives will we take? How many hearts destined to break? Nowhere to run, can't escape. Full of ourselves, Tied to our fate. The end is knocking. The end is knocking. We've all been lost for most of this life. Everywhere we turn, more hatred surrounds us. And I know that most of us just ain't right. Following the wrong steps, being led by pride. With peace of mind so hard to find, we're dwelling on the drastic signs. Another way to numb our mind And as you close your eyes tonight and pray for a better life, you'll see it flying helplessly away. We've all been lost for most of this life. Everywhere we turn, more hatred surrounds us. And I know that most of us just ain't right. Following the wrong steps, being led by pride. So this is a song titled Lost by one of my favorite rock slash metal bands. They are not a Christian band. But I definitely think that they have Christianity in their background because they have tons of Christian images in their music and in their artwork and even in the name of their band. But they write a song like this. When the answer was so close to them, but somehow... People failed them when they were young, and they've ended up where they've ended up. But a song like this is a stark difference from what we heard last week, right? Last week we talked about um, the garden. We talked about God making the cosmos, and he making the world and the universe, and he made it as his temple. And on the seventh day he, made, he, he sat down in his temple and rested in the presence of his creation, And then we also talked about how man and woman was made and placed into a garden and given the role of being God's representatives in this temple to care for it and to work it. And we said that God made this and he took something that was chaotic and purposeless and he made it purposeful and he gave it order. And he said that it was good. 
And so what God says is good is ordered and purposeful. It has a purpose and it's something he intended for it to have. And then God said to humans, I'm putting you in this garden and I'm giving you a purpose and I'm giving you the parameters and the boundaries of this, of how to live in this garden. And if you do that, you will be in perfect harmony. So that's where we leave off last week. But then we hear a song like this and listen to those lyrics. And whenever I heard that song for the very first time, um, or when I reheard it when I was older, it's mind blowing how true something can be like that, especially by people who don't know the answer. They clearly know that what they're looking for isn't right, but they don't know what the right answer is. These are guys with money, they can do whatever they want. They've made it to the biggest stage in, in uh, basically in their world, playing with the biggest bands that they looked up to growing up, and now they're on the same stage with these guys. And they write a song like that. So what happened? What happened between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3? Well, we know the story, but we're still going to look at the story today. But before we look, I want to just remind us one more time of the, the way that we left the garden. So we left the garden with the man and the woman in perfect harmony in a place that had purpose and was ordered. And that's where the harmony comes from. Now there's an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann. And this is, what he, this is how he describes the garden. I think this is excellent. The destiny of the human creature is to live in God's world, not a world of his or her own making. The, creature, the human creature is to live with God's other creatures, some of which are dangerous, but all of which are to be ruled and cared for. The destiny of the human creature is to live in God's world with God's other creatures on God's terms. That was the situation of the garden. On God's terms, God had placed boundaries up. He said, you are free to do anything in the garden. Except for what? Do one thing. Do not eat from this tree over here called the tree of knowledge of good, of evil, good and evil. But everything else is freedom. God said, I've made you with a purpose. You have a job to do. And I'm giving you a life to be freely lived in this place. I'm only asking you not to do one thing. God's terms. And God's terms brought order and purpose, and they were good. So that's the situation, but it breaks down. So we're going to look at the breakdown today. So if you want to take out your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it's hard to find. Page 4, but there is a lot before that. So it'll be, you'll be turning more than you think because there's the preface and introduction in there that aren't counted. Page 4. And so we're going to look at how this garden loses what we read from the beginning. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals that the Lord God had made. All right, before we go on any further, let's talk about the serpent. So we've all heard the kids' stories. We've seen the snake. We've heard people say that this is Satan. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad way to read this or think back into it, but as we look at the text itself, there is a serpent, 
And the serpent is one of God's creatures. So it's something that the Adam and Eve or the man and the woman are tasked with caring for. Now remember Walter Brueggemann, he said some of the animals are dangerous. But even though they're dangerous, it doesn't mean they're going to damage or hurt you. But the man and the woman were the ones who were supposed to be in charge of the garden. And to care for all the creatures. So the serpent is one of God's creatures. And now this is what he does one morning. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So right off the bat, what we need to see that the serpent is doing in this story is offering an alternative narrative. He's offering an alternative perspective on who God is. He's basically saying, did God really tell you that you can't eat from that tree? Or he's really saying, is God limiting you from doing what you want in the garden? And he's doing it in a way that questions God's intentions and his character. He's offering alternative narrative. So we need to understand from the beginning in the world is that the world is offering us alternative narratives about who we are, about what brings purpose in life, about who God is. And we offer ourselves alternative narratives. So as we do this study through the summer, what I'm trying to do to the best of my ability is offer from the Bible the narrative that God has revealed to us in Scripture, his story that is our story. So we need to weigh against God's story, the way he's told it to us. We need to weigh that against what we've always heard and what people on the outside are trying to tell us. Whose narrative are we going to believe? So this is what the serpent does. Now this is how uh, the woman responds in verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So the woman catches a little bit of what the serpent's doing. She says, wait a minute, that's not what God said. So she offers an alternative to the serpent's perspective of God. But now the question is, does she get God right? So if we just turn back to chapter 2, so flip back one page at the very top of that last column. Verse 16, this is what God says to the man about the garden. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So the woman doesn't quite get what God says right. She makes it almost arbitrary or random. She says, there's a tree in the middle of the garden that we can't eat from. But she doesn't say the name of the tree. It's almost as if she's already thinking, maybe God just made some rules and he just picked a tree because he's trying to tell us that we can't do whatever we want. And then she does something else. She adds to what God says. She says, if we touch it, we will die. So what the woman's already doing is taking what God has given as 
parameters or boundaries to make life good and ordered. And this is how harmony exists in the garden, by living on God's terms. And she says, maybe God's terms are simply random. And she calls into question, maybe not even knowing what she's doing, but the serpent lets that in just by questioning God. Now, this is the serpent's response. Now, notice it's very interesting because we just heard what God had said and we heard what the woman said, but this is what the serpent says. You will not certainly die. Now, does the woman say that? She doesn't. So clearly the serpent actually knows what God had said. But he's trying to offer an alternative narrative. The serpent said to the woman, you will certainly not die. Continue verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what the serpent does is he offers to the woman this alternative narrative. And he says, God actually doesn't want you to eat from the tree because if you do, you will have knowledge like him. So this is what the serpent's offering. He's offering an alternative narrative in which the humans are able to become like God in a way that they weren't before. And it's through knowledge. And he says, how dare God tell you you can't have that knowledge? And he makes it sound as if God is holding something back from the woman that she needs to be able to enjoy life. But remember, the garden was perfect harmony and God put these boundaries up. And he said, if you live within these boundaries on my terms, you will live in this perfect ordered world with harmony. And now the woman's question, or faced with the question, does she trust God and God's word and God's terms as being good for her? Or is she going to choose what she believes is good and what she believes will make her life best? And that is the dichotomy of human existence. Do we trust God's terms? Or do we think that we know better than God and that we can live in a way that he clearly doesn't tell us to live, but he doesn't know best, we know best. And that's the dichotomy that the woman's faced with. So this is what happens. Continuing in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. Did you catch that? That the tree was good. Remember, God had said, this is good. This is ordered. This is harmony. This is purpose. God had set the terms for what is good. But now the woman says, I see that this is good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And when the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So the man and the woman decide to choose knowledge over trusting God. 
They decide that what God has told them is better, or what they see is better than what God had told them. They broke the boundaries of the garden. The one limit that they were given. Live within this free place. Do anything you want. Just don't eat from this tree. God's terms. Those were his terms. That makes the world good and ordered and purposeful. And they chose not to obey. But as soon as they disobey, what's interesting is they all of a sudden realize that they're not clothed. And what this really, I think, represents is they realized and became insecure about themselves. And they became ashamed, so they hid. So we all know about shame, even if you've never heard that word. That's the thing that you don't want to tell anyone about and you bury inside yourself. And you don't want anyone to see it because you're embarrassed about it and you feel as if, how could I ever let this happen? Or how could this be something uh, that's true about me? And we have shame and we hide. We hide it in ourselves and we cover it up. And that's what the humans do as soon as they eat. They become ashamed and they hide from God. Because they don't want him to know what they've done. They don't want him to know that they've broken the parameters. And this is what God says. Because he wants to know too in verse 12. He says to the man, or the man said. So God adds, have you eaten from the tree? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So when they break the harmony of the garden, and when they eat, they break the harmony of the garden. Because no longer is man and woman in harmony with one another, Adam, right off the bat, blames his wife for what happened. And what's interesting is he actually blames God for giving him the wife and suggesting to him that he should eat from the tree. And then so God turns to, his, to the woman and he says, well, why has this happened? And she blames the serpent. So now we see that the relationships in the harmony of the garden are broken. Because the man and the woman are no longer in harmony with one another. They're at odds. They're blaming one another for their problems. They're also blaming the creatures of the garden they're supposed to care for. And they're blaming God for even making the situation. So the harmony in the garden is broken. And all of a sudden, all we see is that chaos is being introduced into the order that God had made. The chaos that God has taken out from the beginning. He gave order and purpose to the garden and to the cosmos. But now the order and the purpose is broken and chaos is coming back in to what used to be a place of harmony. So what God does is he needs to deal with these problems. And he sees that the order is broken. So what is he going to do about it? Well, if we were to keep reading, which we've already heard this, I'm not going to read all of this section again. 
But what we see is that once this order is broken, God has to curse the serpent. And chaos is introduced and anxiety between the man and the, or the serpent and the woman. So anxiety is introduced and tension is introduced between creatures and humans. They no longer live in harmony. There's chaos and anxiety and fear. And then we see what happens with the woman. And she um, and childbirth is made to be chaotic and full of anxiety. The very foundation of life. Because God says, be fruitful and multiply. Now for that to happen, anxiety and chaos is introduced into that process. And for thousands of years, childbirth was the most dangerous thing for a female to do. It's probably still very dangerous today, but we don't realize it because we have modern medicine. But anyone who's been through childbirth knows that even with medicine, it is chaotic and it is full of anxiety. And this is what gets introduced into what used to be a good and order creation. And then between the man and the ground becomes chaos and anxiety. No longer does the garden produce just fruit and trees and, and food for the man and the woman. Now the man must work the ground and there will be thistles and weeds that they have to fight with the ground to produce food. So chaos and anxiety is introduced to every aspect of life. And no longer is life peaceful and harmonious and enjoyable. It is now chaotic and dangerous and full of anxiety. And for an ancient person, that was very true. We have really tamed life. And we have lots to show for that. But it all was because of the man and the woman's choice to choose knowledge of what they believed to be good over what God had told them was good. The world's problems start with our good choices. So we want to know the problem and the law, why is the world lost? It's because the world's problems start with our good choices. Because we believe we know what is good. But remember, God put us here to live on his terms. He said, this is what is order, ordered. This is what is purposeful. This is the purpose of these things. I have made them for these reasons. And we say, no, we know what's good. We know what things' purposes are. Sometimes we might get it right when we're living by God's terms. Sometimes we don't. When we make good choices that end up using things in the wrong way. And that's where the world's problems come from. Because remember, humans were the center of creation. We are placed here to represent God and care for creation on his behalf. But now we can either use creation well by living by God's terms or we can use it on our own terms and that's when the chaos takes over. So this is a situation. The world's problems start with our good choices. And I say good and, and you understand that that's not actually good, right? There are choices, but they're actually not the choices that God says are good. And this was what life turned into. But what's interesting is, remember God had told the man and the woman, if they ate from the tree, they would die. Now, it wasn't clear if that was going to be right away or not. 
And God wasn't even making that a threat. He was just simply saying, if you eat, that's what's going to happen. Now the serpent turned it into a threat as a way to keep the humans from doing it. But God was simply saying, if, that, if you choose, this is what happens. But he spares them life of shame outside of the garden. He does say you cannot live here any longer because the harmony has been broken and you can't be here because of what you now know. But he says, I'm going to clothe you and cover your shame and give you a chance at life outside of the garden. There's going to be chaos. There's going to be anxiety. But you can live you can still work the ground. You can still use creation. You can still live on my terms, and life will have some of the harmony it had before. Maybe not all of it, but you can work hard and have it if you'll just live by my terms. So God releases them from the garden, and he says to them that you may not return, but you can go and still live on the earth. The world's problems start with our good choices. Now the man and the woman are able to leave the garden, but they leave the harmony and they leave the order and the purpose. And now they're forced to live in a world with chaos and anxiety where purpose is no longer clear and where order is not always found because they broke the harmony. They didn't live by God's terms. They thought they knew what was good and they chose it. But we leave them with the opportunity to still live. The question will be that we look at next week, how does life continue once the harmony is broken? And that's what we look at next week. But for this week, we realize that the harmony of the garden gives way to chaos and anxiety in life. Because the world's problems start with our good choices. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we realize that our choices can either be in line with what you have ordered, and they can be on your terms, or we can live on our own terms. And Lord, we want harmony, we want purpose. We want order. We want that good creation that you've made. May you help us to live on your terms and choose what you've shown us is good. May you help us to discern the alternative narratives of the world, the narratives that try to tell us what is your terms or tell us what's better than your terms. And may we come to, to discern that those are all ways of pulling us to think we know better than you. As your creatures made by you and placed here as your representatives. Lord, be with us this week. May we live on your terms. May we live as your people. May we live by following the way of your son. Who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen.